Good morning again. Um, last week, I started the talk by saying that I wanted to address, in the context of being recently inspired by being a month on retreat, I wanted to address the most important possible topic I could possibly talk on. So that's what we did last time. So how, how do I follow that up? So the way I'll follow it up is I will continue to talk about the most important topic, not having exhausted the topic last week. And, and we, um, we looked before I announced what that topic was. I, and some of you who are here for the first time are perhaps in suspense. But um, I asked people for nominations for the most important topic before I announced what mine was. And I got responses about the focus being on love, on working with fear, and so forth. And I said that the most important topic is how to make this practice real in our daily lives. It's how to, aside from whatever insights or pleasure or balance or calm we might find in our meditations, in our daily meditations or our retreats or our moments of contemplative ease, the most important um, really intention is how to have the qualities we're cultivating mindfulness, awareness, wisdom, compassion, love, and so forth with us more and more of the time until they move towards being stabilized as the nature of our very being. And you can see how that, from a certain perspective, is the most important question. We can talk a lot about love or wisdom or mindfulness or insight And, of course, those all come under the question of how we make it real in daily life. But if we don't have ways of really manifesting this more and more fully, of having our lives be one, uh, lives of, um, of learning and continued development and having it be real in the kind of culture that we live in and the kind of lives that... Um, we have, which is going to be different here, but we, we all share a lot. And the, there are great challenges in being mindful, aware, grounded in this culture. A very mental culture. For many of us, a very busy culture. Last week, I had an informal poll of asking how many of you are actually retired and still find yourself overly busy. And, uh, and there were a lot of hands that went up. Right? And so... It's a great challenge. And yet, for most of us, there's a kind of a deep intuition that calls us that we are called, I think it's a, it's a kind of cultural imperative, really, of our time. It's part of, I, I believe, part of um, the evolution of the species. It's part of the edge of uh, social cultural evolution 
is to find ways to have our spirituality be very alive without needing to leave everyday life. You know, in the Buddhist tradition, the main option is to leave everyday life. And there are other cultural manifestations where people don't necessarily lead, leave everyday life, but try to find peace, freedom, liberation in the midst of daily life. And I think actually the holidays of this week, particularly Passover and Easter, are actually holidays about finding liberation in the midst of everything, in the midst of oppression, of coming to liberation from bondage, very much the meaning of Passover, and finding liberation despite death, we could say is very much the message of Easter. You know? And so um, we're, find, we're looking for ways to make that real. Last time, I organized my reflections on the theme of what I called sustaining and deepening daily life practice by talking about three levels of practice. And what I want to do today is to give a brief overview of those three levels of daily life practice and then focus on a few of the most important themes in more depth, which I didn't do last time. And particularly some of the themes which uh, are come at what I call more intermediate or advanced levels. And so the three levels that I spoke about last time I called foundational, intermediate, and advanced. And at the end of the last session, I asked people to choose one or two ways that you would like to commit to deepen your practice in the week that would follow, which is now uh, over. (laughs) And what has been done has been done. (laughs) And uh, how many of you gave maybe a little more effort or significantly more effort than usual in the last week based based on our class, based on our group? That's great. And what I'm going to encourage is you to make a similar intention for the next week. One of the ways that we can use these meetings, and this is actually, I think, a very significant support for daily life, is to have meetings like this not just be about hearing a talk, but actually be organized with our own practice between meetings, right? And be a kind of support for our daily life practice. It's like... It's like if, if, if it's like the criticism maybe some of the people used to have about church or synagogue, if it's only good for one day or one morning a week, and the rest of the week one, in the words of the Southern Baptist, uh, backslides, <laughs> then it's limited. And so we're really looking for ways to have our very sessions here be part of our, uh, as it were, part of our support system. For our practice. So, the uh, briefly over the foundational, intermediate, and advanced. And again, I'll invite you to see what one or two supports, practices, intentions resonate with you, and make an intention to cultivate that 
one or two intentions or practices in the next week. And what, what I find, and probably many of you have found, is that doing many things, or trying to do many things, doesn't work very well. But trying to do one or two things is manageable. Right? I think that's what I found. Any of you had vast number of intentions, maybe after New Year's or something? Anyone had many, many intentions sometimes and found... Yeah. Well, keep it simple. Right? So at a foundational level, level are the familiar uh, intentions and practices for daily life. These are the ones which most of us have heard a number of times. And, and yet, for some of us, there still may be something at that foundational level that we want to work on. And it may actually call us. So I invite us again to s- listen to what resonates with you. So first we, we emphasize daily practice, having a specific uh, training period, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, in which you um, have a protected environment and you cultivate loving-kindness or mindfulness or both or in some way uh, cultivate some of the qualities that we are developing. And if you can't have 30 minutes on busy days, have five or ten. Do it every day and it'll be a thread in your life. And it'll uh, pop up at other times during the day and during the week. A second uh, practice or, or support is listening to talks, doing readings, getting clearer about what one is doing. We would call this the wisdom perspective, strengthening the wisdom perspective. A third is grounding more fully ethically. And this can be, again, a major focus for many of us. And I've worked with groups where we focused on the five ethical precepts for six months, you know, really focusing on one for a month or two. You know, the, the basic practices of not harming, of not taking that which is not given, and care around sexuality, speech, and substances which shift consciousness. And in a way, there are foundational, intermediate, and advanced levels for all of those ethical guidelines. One could follow the ethical guidelines as a basic practice for one's life and really focus there and go very deeply. For example, with speech. You know, let me focus every moment of my speech and have that be a very basic practice. And we could even radicalize it by including our own talking to ourselves. Remember, that would come, that comes under wise speech. So, or we might take something like uh, non-harming. And that can be a very, very deep practice to say, let me look at where I harm others or myself. And not just maybe in my face-to-face interactions, but to what extent am I part of larger systems, economic, political, ecological, where my daily actions are involved with harming. Probably look at some of those aspects on Earth Day. And so it can be a deep practice, ethical grounding. Fourth would be finding uh, support from others in groups, with friends, talking with friends, having a support system. 
I don't at all want to imply with these talks that we're supposed to do everything by our own willpower and be this individual who, who by sheer discipline and willpower does it. That, you know, discipline and willpower are important, but I think we sometimes underestimate the role of support. And to make this practice work, we need a lot of support from groups, from communities, from places like Spirit Rock, from teachers, from mentors, from peers. And I think that can be much developed. We could, <clears throat> one of the, one of the um, developments that's uh, in the process of happening right now with this, uh, the construction, is part of the construction involves creating uh, three learning spaces so we, rather than having just one meeting space, we will have three and can have ongoing series of classes happening all the time. Classes, retreats, much more support in other words. It's part of the vision of the building that's happening right now. A last uh, foundational aspect is to start having one's practice go into day-longs and retreats. Start do- giving more of one's time. At an intermediate level, and these distinctions are a little arbitrary, but they still can help. Uh, At an intermediate level, we find that we have multiple practices. We have um, maybe developed and trained in loving-kindness practice. So that is part of our repertoire. We have mindfulness practice. We have more of the teachings, so we can reflect on particular wisdom uh, aspects of our teachings. We can focus more on opening the heart, different heart practices, forgiveness, loving kindness. We can work with grounding in the body. We may, might connect it with yoga or qigong. We might connect our practice with psychological work and, and start seeing our practice as really involving all the parts of our lives. We sometimes say, uh, no parts left out and look, okay, what needs attention? This is where we also start bringing our practice um, into our lives more fully, into our relationships, into our community life, into our our work, into our uh, social engagement. And we find, uh, you know, we we say, oh, well, how do I do it? I was pretty good by myself for 20 minutes. How do I do it into difficult discussions about the dishes? You know, or more, more heavy matters, so to speak. So how do I do that? How do I, how do I work with a difficult relationship at work or in my extended family? I also start prioritizing more. I start looking at uh, what am I really about in my life? Practice helps us open up to that. Doing retreats helps me ask the question, how am I using my time in my life? What's important to me? What would my life look like if I gave more energy for what I most value? This is a challenging question for all of us because, again, many of us are busy and just the demands of daily life are often um, a lot. 
we remember, I think, when we, when we prioritize, we remember our deeper intentions that we might have at moments of greatest uh, clarity. This is from, again, the Sufi poet Hafiz. I read one of his poems last week. Light will someday split you open, even if your life is now a cage. For a divine seed, the crown of destiny is hidden and sown on an ancient fertile plain you hold the title to. Love will surely burst you wide open into an unfettered blooming new galaxy, even if your mind is now a spoiled mule. (laughs) You know, think, think Iran, Persia, eight or nine hundred years ago. (laughs) Love will surely burst you wide open into an unfettered blooming new galaxy, even if your mind is now a spoiled mule. A life-giving radiance will come. The friend's gratuity will come. Oh, look again within yourself, for I know you are once the elegant host to all the marvels in creation. So we may have that vision sometimes. How do we mobilize our energies, our activities to actualize that vision? We start working maybe more with intentions. I'm going to talk about that in more depth in a moment. We to support our priorities, we work more skillfully with with the uh, faculty of intention. We start taking our difficulties as practice, our challenges as practice. I mentioned that last time. I'm going to mention a little more depth this time. Very crucial when we when we uh, don't just look at our um, our good times, and then when our challenges come, we forget all about practice, which is a tendency because the, uh, the dynamic is, as the phrase goes, under stress we regress. You know? So we'll come back to that. So if you remember that Tibetan phrase that I gave last time, um, how does it go? When the sun is shining and my belly is full, I look like a Dharma practitioner. (laughs) But when difficulties arise, my faults are exposed. Mm. So that can be a wonderful practice. And when we actually shift, and we need a foundation for that, when we shift and start looking at, um, ah, a difficulty. What will I learn now? (laughs) Do you have a sense? Even if you have that intention, the next moment say, oh, I have had too many learning opportunities recently. (laughs) So, um, but but we can do that. We can do that more. And then, again, a a subject that's very uh, favorite one of mine after, particularly after retreats, I've many times engaged on uh, projects of uh, home beautification and creating... um, environments around me, whether it's at home, at work, whatever, that uh, manifest my, the best aspects of my mind and heart and body, right? And that's been quite important for me. You know, I, I use the metaphor of all of our spiritual practice is nothing but interior decoration. So external, internal. So if that resonates with you, the, the morning is over. You have your project. <laughs> okay. 
Um, and then advanced practices. And again, some, I think all of these uh, practices I'm mentioning probably have their foundational, intermediate, and advanced dimensions. And it's a little arbitrary, as I mentioned. But what I was naming for advanced was uh, grounding in the body, which I'll come back to some. Uh, speech practice, very crucial. You know, when we can start taking all the time that we are talking as a, a formal spiritual practice, suddenly many of us have many hours a day for formal practice. It changes everything. And it's not easy to do that. You know? uh, for me, it's actually, in the way we teach it in our speech retreats and in our classes, is that actually the grounding in the body is very crucial for not being caught all the time in, in uh, a mental uh, stream of thought. You know? That's what makes it harder to practice in daily life. There's a, using the imagination, I'll come back to that in a little bit, having a Sabbath practice, something like that where maybe once a week we stop and we uh, maybe have three hours in a morning, on a weekend, during the week where we, where we just slow down, uh, as, as, the, as we say these days, disconnect electronically and maybe do sitting, reading, take a walk in the woods, and so forth. Do that for a whole day, do it a half a day, do it three or four hours. Doing that regularly, once a week, uh, is a major support for deepening daily life practice. And then I also mentioned a practice which has become dear to me recently, which is finding multiple, or, or maybe even one or two or three further short times in addition to one's formal practice where one is in a state of uh, cultivating awareness. I mentioned a variety of practices. It could be using red lights as mindfulness opportunities rather than getting ready for the light to change. Walking your dog. Walking your dog, you know, taking a walk, all sorts of things, um, finding, uh, taking a walk after a meal. I mentioned a number of them last time. So, uh, and if we can find ways to do that, I mentioned uh, practice, some practices I do, uh, doing loving kindness practice if I'm eating a meal by myself and actually using a meal for awareness practice. Okay, so I want to look at a few of these themes in depth. And these are maybe more the intermediate or advanced practice. The first is working with intention. Very, very crucial. And I often give guidance near the beginning of a sitting to connect with your deeper aspiration. Connect with the deeper aspiration of your practice. Remember that. Uh, At the beginning of a sitting, at the beginning of a day, I think of intention practice in a few different ways. One of them is remembering one's deeper intention. And as many of you know, I have a kind of a, a vow, which I say uh, typically four times a day, which helps me to remember. You know, and I've... Um, would you like to hear that? I haven't said it for a while. Maybe I'll, but you might do some version of this. And this, this came um, initially... The, the, the core of it came from a birthday card from a dear friend who wished all these things for me. And I said, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll wish them for myself. 
and then I added to them. And it's got a little long. It takes a few minutes. It takes two or three minutes, but it's, it might inspire you. And so I say it four times a day, and it's always a challenge to know whether I'll, I'll remember it right now. <laughs> so here goes. Um, I intend to awaken for the benefit of others. And then I do a little bit of gratitude practice, remembering what I'm grateful for. May I find peace and serenity in the flow of phenomena. May my demons and dragons become allies and helpers. May I fully integrate the shadow and light in my body and being. May I penetrate ever more into emptiness. May I open ever more to luminosity. May I open ever more to compassion. May I be a conduit for the Dharma to manifest on this earth. May joy always be with me. May compassion always be with me. And then I say a version of the refuge. In the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, I take refuge until enlightenment is achieved. May the merit of my generosity and other virtues lead to the well-being of all. And then I um, imagine a wisdom being near me and merge with the energy of that wisdom being. And I try to do that four times a day. And we can do something like that, which is in a way touching deeper aspirations. We can also work with intention just for everyday activities, such as remembering one's intention before a meeting, or before a difficult discussion, or before driving, or right at the moment one gets up. An ancient Tibetan practice is called clarify consciousness at dawn. You know, just remembering, you know, what am I about? You know, you know, and artwork can be very wonderful for helping with intentions. Um, and so the power of intention is not at all that we guarantee that the intentions are actualized. We can, we can have wonderful deep intentions right before a meeting. I will employ wise speech. I will be truthful, helpful, come from a good heart, speak appropriately. And then three minutes later, we get triggered. (laughs) And where were those intentions? But they will come back. They help. They don't guarantee anything, but they're a support. And they remind us. And you can use them in different ways. I've mentioned sometimes I write down my intentions at meetings and write them on a piece of paper. You know, or it can do all sorts of things like that. can really be can really be helpful. They really help one to come back. A second um, kind of uh, practice I, that I uh, mentioned uh, two weeks ago that I, that I like to do uses the imagination. And this is a practice that I do, that I, I did during my retreat, and I do quite a bit, where I um, basically access, through the imagination, a wise being. And I, am, I mentioned how when I was on retreat up here for a month, I came down actually to the courtyard right out here, uh, between here and the parking lot, and sat at a bench which we uh, developed for my father after he died. And I sit at the bench and I quote unquote talk with my father. And I would typically ask him, any suggestions today? And he would give me uh, very wonderful guidance, he in quotation marks. And they'd be very simple. It'd be like, uh, keep on going, 
or remember your beautiful vision, or you know, one uh, was, uh, you didn't sleep very well today, so give yourself a lot of slack today. <laughs> Something like, you know, just very, they were wise, they weren't, you know, utterly cosmic, generally, occasionally they were. And, um, you know, who was I accessing? Uh, hard to say. It wasn't, the, what are the guidance I got wasn't readily accessible to me. I, I really needed to do that little ritual to get that guidance. And I remembered that guidance m- multiple times during the day. This is a form of working with intentions, and it really helped. So I wanted to um, give you, uh, just take us through experientially a way of doing that practice right now. And I think I've done this occasionally, not very much. I thought I'd read a first a, a little um, piece of writing that my friend Ruth Gendler wrote uh, about the imagination. And she wrote a book called The Book of uh, Qualities. She personified uh, like 50 or 60 different qualities like compassion, love, um, jealousy. And here is her personification of imagination. When imagination walks, she writes letters to the earth. When she runs, her feet trace postcards to the sun. When she dances, when she dances, she sends love letters to the stars. Some people accuse imagination of being a liar. They don't understand that she has her own ways of uncovering the truth. She studied journalism in junior high school. It gave her an excuse to leave school early and interview interesting people. She was surprisingly good at writing articles. When in doubt, she just made things up. (laughs) More recently, imagination has been working as a fortune teller in the circus. She has this way of telling your fortune so clearly that you believe her, and then your wishes start to come true. So, brief uh, imagination practice to connect with a wise being. Okay, so let's just sit quietly. And first, uh, start using your imagination a little bit by remembering what you had for breakfast, or if you didn't have breakfast, what you had for your last meal. Just bring it to mind, visualize it. And visualize how you came here to Spirit Rock, maybe getting in a car, having a friend come over. Now imagine yourself as you were sitting here, have your eyes closed, And there's actually a lot of space around you now, even though you're next to someone, near someone. And there's a wise being who comes up to you. This could be someone you know, someone who's alive, a friend, uh, a relative, 
It could be someone who's no, not no longer alive. It could be the Buddha. It could be Kuan Yin. It could be someone from the past. See who the wise being is that comes up to you and stands next to you. And stay in touch with imagining that wise being next to you. And the wise being will answer a question for you. So this could be simply a question like I would ask, do you have any guidance for me for today? Or there may be some larger question you have. So ask your question to the wise being and hear what the response is. And now the wise being will leave, will walk away or move in some other way. And you're back with yourself, sitting. Remember what was said. And you can open your eyes. It's a very simple practice. And how many of you found something happened that was helpful? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very simple practice. Where does that come from? It's partly creating a space. It's a little bit of a ritual. And you can do that every day to access wisdom before, you know, before uh, the day begins, uh, for a difficult meeting, conversation, and so forth. So using, using the imagination like that, it ties in with intention. A third really fundamental area is grounding further in the body. And in a very mental culture, This is crucial. To really maintain a sense of awareness and presence during the day is very hard if we're thinking all the time. And so finding multiple ways to ground in the body is very crucial. Again, could be uh, yoga, qigong, doing walking meditation. We can also use our meditation and really focus on the body. For myself, I actually spent several years primarily focusing on developing awareness of my body. 
actually from the beginning of my practice, it was a revelation, you know, because I thought my sense was I'm pretty connected to my body. I'd been, uh, as, as many of you know, I'd been an athlete. I was a swimmer, hiked a lot. I thought oh, I'm pretty connected to my body, but wasn't aware of it. <laughs> you know, when I started doing meditation, I was amazed at how unaware I was generally in my body and how I was thinking all the time, which was natural because I was a student and students are supposed to be thinking a lot, right? And, and so it was a revelation to come more into the body and it's an ongoing project and it's not easy. It's not easy, but to ground in the body seems very, very crucial for having that sense of presence and awareness that can be there during much of the day and it's not easy. And we, so we want to find ways to ground further in the body through having particular periods of the day where we just stay with the body awareness to trying to stay in one's body um, as one is with others. You know, like even right now, one of the speech practices which we use, which we've sometimes worked with, is developing the capacity to have both inner and outer awareness at the same time. This is an advanced practice, not an easy practice. Can you listen to me and keep a little bit of body awareness? It's easier to do when we when we're not uh, don't have to act. So probably right now you can do that, right? You can stay connected some maybe with your hands and your knees and still listen to me. Right? But um, we can also train by having our meditations be focused on grounding in the body. This is big. Again, this is advanced. It's not easy. It takes some time. There's a lot of conditioning. But I have found that it's really crucial for having awareness come more into daily life. And we can do that in all all sorts of ways. A big part of traditional practice, being aware of the different uh, parts of the body. When I was um, going through a period of more training with, uh, I was working with John Travis at the time, and I would, would uh, meet with him regularly and do a lot of retreats for about a four-year period. We focused on the body a lot. And at one point I was complaining that, uh, I think I was comparing my situation to that of people who might have been in a monastery. And, and I said, they have so much support. And, you know, it's hard, you know. And he said, let your body be your monastery. Hmm. As Sylvia likes to say, mmm, <laughs> right? And so that electrified me because it was, it was like, uh, your body is always there. It can be the support you know, that, that one uses to stay awake in daily life. And then let me finish just by talking about, going back to something we did talk about last time some, which is the practice of uh, working with challenges as a big part of practice. I've mentioned a lot, and we've focused a lot, on working skillfully with different kinds of difficult emotions, difficult interpersonal situations, difficult social situations. When we can actually find interesting our challenges, everything changes. Everything changes in our practice. And we can um, start to get very, very, interested in difficult emotions. Jack Kornfield likes to say, oh, fear is present. What am I going to learn now? Right? 
again, not easy at all. We need a lot of support and a lot of perspective. But to really, uh, I mean, we want to start not with, on a scale of 10, 9 or 10 level difficulties, but start with level 5 or 6 difficulties, right? Start with moderately difficult situations and say, oh, let me learn from these. Let me, because most of us, if we're asked, would probably say that where we learn the most was actually from difficult things. You know, there's that learning theory which says that there's the comfort zone, the discomfort zone, and the overwhelm zone. We don't learn too much in the comfort zone, although it's very important for stabilizing and giving a certain degree of pleasure, which is quite important. There's the discomfort zone where we actually learn the most important things. Sorry. If you don't like that message, focus on something else next week. (laughs) But it's true. And, And then there's the overwhelm zone where we don't learn either because it's too much and our survival mechanisms get triggered, right? And so discomfort zone, very important. From the Spanish poet Antonio Machado. Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous era, that I had a beehive here inside my heart and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. (laughs) Yeah. This is from Rilke. You who let yourselves feel, enter the breathing that is more than your own. Let it brush your cheeks as it divides and rejoins behind you. Blessed ones, whole ones, you where the heart begins, you are the bow that shoots the arrow, and you are the target. Fear not the pain. Let the weight fall back into the earth, for heavy are the mountains, heavy the seas. The trees you planted in childhood have grown too heavy. You cannot bring them along. Give yourself to the air, to what you cannot hold. So there's so much that we could say about how to work skillfully with challenges. And we have to find ways to do it. There's where we bring in all of our practices, our mindfulness, our loving kindness. If we're going through a difficult time, spend a lot of time in the heart. We've looked at this a lot in the past. I'll repeat that the guidance that I give in one-on-one work most frequently is this. Don't believe the negative stories that you are repeating to yourselves and cut them. That's the single most important thing. So a major way to work with difficulties, we will tend to spin out negative narratives that typically trigger old inadequacies and scary narratives. And if we can notice those with our mindfulness and cut them, that's one way of working with difficulties. So let me just end with uh, two quotations kind of summarizing this whole uh, intention to work skillfully with daily life and have that be really uh, the fruit of our, uh, the the aim and the fruit of our, our practice. First, one from the Buddha, and the second is from E. E. Cummings. And then it's fine to, we can keep the uh, recording going with the uh, discussion. First from the Buddha, 
A practitioner is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending the limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing robes and carrying the outer robe and bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. That's meant to cover everything. (laughs) And then from E. Cummings, a different way, I think, of saying something very similar. A little different language. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping, greenly spirits of trees, and a blue, true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I, who have died, am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and love and wings, and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any, lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being doubt unimaginable you, Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Thank you. (laughs) A little bit of time for any questions, reflections, reports from the last week. Um, Please, yes. And, and then Adrian. Yeah. Being grounded in the body is one of my most challenging things. Yeah. And could you say something really specific about how exactly to do it? If, if I were sitting, what would that? What would I okay. do? And if I were in an interaction with someone, what would I? Okay. Do? Uh, so, question about how specifically to ground in the body, and there's a lot that can be said. I was I've actually contemplated doing a two-year training in this. Okay, so how to take a minute to summarize the two-year training. (laughs) Um, Again, I think that there are, we might say, initial, foundational, intermediate, advanced levels. I think immediately I would focus on having some protected times when you focus on awareness of the body, like in yoga, walking, when you don't have to do anything else. And they're protected, and you can just focus on the body. Having something like that is a training time. And you can also do that in meditation sometimes, just to, uh, for a time, be aware of your whole body or be aware of a particular part of the body. You can do that. Uh, Beginning practices in interpersonal situations might be just to be aware of the hands on the knees or be aware of a small part of the body, part of what we're interested in is breaking the monopoly of the automatic mind. And if we have 5 or 10% attention on the body, that does it actually. We create a little bit of space for something else to appear, like awareness. So just to, you can try it now, even as you're part of something, be aware, and you can do this in interpersonal situations, have a little bit of your attention, contact with the chair, feeling the hands, on the knees, feeling the feet on the floor, something like that. And you can try that a, li- try that a little bit when you're talking with someone. It's, again, uh, try it first where it's easiest, maybe 
like a situation like here, you're listening, you don't have demands of you to be active and so forth. And so, um, you know, as we get further training, we, we, you know, we ultimately can develop awareness of the body where it's more automatic, not something we have to think about. As with all trainings, we have to give some specific focus and intention to what later becomes more automatic and doesn't need intention. You know, so, so those are some starting points. Yeah, um, Adrian, please. Yeah, I was thinking about what would be the steps you take to resuscitate yourself after you've blown the intention. <laughs> what would be the steps to take to resuscitate oneself after one has blown one's intention? Um, I think it depends on the seriousness of the blown intention. <laughs> If, if, if you're uh, for something that's not so serious, you just come back. Um, you know, you just come back and you start again. This practice is tremendously beautiful and merciful in inviting us to continually start again and don't worry so much about what just happened. Mm. So do you do that in meditation? Do you do like... I, I don't yeah. know. How, you know. Do you go into yeah. medication and you, you do what? Forgiveness? Practice? Yeah, yeah. Compassion? Again, it depends on the seriousness of what's happened uh, and, and what having blown it means. But again, you can do it like in our meditation practice. What, do you, what does one do when one is simply daydream for three minutes? You just come back. You start again. You might not blame yourself for the three minutes. You might not need to do anything other than come back. For something which, where it is, um, maybe one has done something unskillful, which I think is what you're pointing to, unskillful interpersonally, uh, of a lesser or major nature, then I find forgiveness practice very, very helpful. It's kind of a little bit like uh, some, and you can do this meditatively, uh, you know, some conscious cleaning up of the mess, at least initially, right? Mm -hmm. Forgiveness practice is great for that. I do forgiveness practice sometimes in driving. Right? You can do it right on the spot. You can do it in 30 seconds. And we've, we've uh, a few months, for those who haven't been here over the last few months, we did forgiveness practice in several sessions, and the, there's guidance on Dharma Seed. That's all the talks for the Wednesdays are on dharmaseed.org on the web. But a forgiveness practice can be quite helpful. I do it for small things and for larger things. To because you could come back and be present and you might get into self-judgment or self-blaming. And so we want to, in that case, forgiveness practice can be very helpful where you just uh, acknowledge, you ask for forgiveness maybe from the other, you uh, give forgiveness if the other was involved in some way, and you give for forgiveness to yourself as well for having acted unskillfully. And I do that in small or large things. Again, one drives, one gets angry at someone who cut one off and makes a comment and might want to do 30 seconds of forgiveness practice for something more significant interpersonally. You might do it for a while. Yeah, so, and then come back to the intention and, and of course, watch any judgment that, that occurs. And in all of this, you know, if there's something difficult that's happened, some kind of working with the heart, forgiveness practice, loving kindness, compassion, can be very helpful if, if, if we feel 
in pain, basically, mm-hmm. with the situation. So all, use all the tools that we have for the heart that hurts. Yeah. Okay, please. Maybe last two, and then we'll then we'll finish. Yeah. Uh, I work with some people who have chronic pain. Yeah. And I'm wondering how you would advise them on grounding in the body. Oh yeah. When they're they're so they might say I'm so aware of my body all the time because I'm in pain. Yeah. So is that apples and oranges or is there? No, it's a good question. How how for people who have a lot of pain uh, to uh, to ground in the body. Um, First of all, what's most skillful for them generally, it depends on the level of chronic pain, might not be to focus on the body so much. Uh, and there are, there are, you know, the, the whole uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction that John Kabat-Zinn developed, which is taught by a lot of people here, was actually originally developed at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center in Worcester, Massachusetts, for people with chronic pain. So we, we have a lot of resources for working with chronic pain. So um, my mind goes to a few things. Sometimes uh, we can ground in the body by going to a part of the body which is not in pain and focusing there. And then if, if there is a lot of pain, we sometimes just go to a channel which is less, uh, less uh, painful or which doesn't have pain, like we might work with heart practices. And of course we have to do a lot with the mindfulness of any patterns that um, um, intensify the pain, either through the body tensing or the mind reacting. But but in terms of grounding in the body, I would say go to a place where there is not pain. And and usually there are places like that. Thank you. You're welcome. And last, last one. I can't hear so well. Listening to your dreams can be helpful too. I oh yeah. Had a situation this past week where I where I spoke unskillfully, had to meet with a person that I had caused harm to and was worried about the meeting, and then kind of like Machado's beehive in the heart. Where yeah. It was. I had this wonderful vision of this person and I meeting, and she was so peaceful and so loving, and I was so peaceful and so loving. And yeah. And that was the morning of the meeting. And that's beautiful. So uh, adding another tool of listening to dreams, working skillfully with dreams, in this case, in the context of a difficult interpersonal interaction. And, yeah, beautiful. And, uh, you know, we could actually, um, I don't know if we want to do this, but we could continue this for the next uh, year <laughs> and bring in a number of different tools because I think probably many of you are also aware of five or ten different uh, supports for this practice that maybe that we didn't mention, but I've wanted to highlight them and especially not so much be comprehensive, but, but name enough so that we can then ask, and I'll ask this right now, just to, to go inside and reflect. Um, if you feel called to take the next week and practice to sustain and deepen your own everyday life practice, what one or two areas or what one or two intentions um, are there for you for the next week? Again, not to do too much, maybe just one thing 
could just be foundational. It could be, I'm going to sit every day for 20, 30 minutes for the next week. I haven't done that last week or the week before. It could be simple as that. Or it could be one of the other practices we've mentioned. So just sit for a moment and reflect. Is there something that calls you? And then again, just name your, with two or three words, your intention out loud if you'd like to, knowing that all uh, vocalized intentions double or triple in strength. (laughs) Finding time for practice. Finding time for practice. Grounding in the body. body. Loving kindness. Loving kindness practice. Setting intention. Setting intention. Yield to the present. Compassion. Compassion. Balance. Balance. Being daily practice. practice. One or two more? Space. Space. Equanimity. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. So may these wonderful intentions, uh, spoken and unspoken, be supported by our community and be given more strength to support our practice in the next week and in all future weeks and be of benefit to ourselves and of benefit to all others. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.